Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Parts Unknown, the show that looks back at the WrestleManias of yore, celebrating the triumphs and bemoaning the tragedies. This week we're talking all things WrestleMania 18, or X8, if you were on brand back in 2002. The Skydome in Toronto was the venue for the granddaddy of them all. We're a few years away from the grandest stage of them all becoming common parlance. It was just the second time the WWF, as was, had run a WrestleMania at the venue following Mania 6. And just like on that night, it was the Hulkster who stole the show. It wasn't just everyone's biggest disappointment who was in action, though. His bout with The Rock was the main talking point of the show. Also on the card, Triple H and Y2J met in the acronym Derby with the undisputed title on the line. Steve Austin was thrilled to be facing Scott Hall. The Undertaker and Ric Flair bled excessively for our entertainment. Thanks, lads. Hometown hero Edge took on Booker T in the ultimate grudge match. DDP got a WrestleMania moment and the hardcore belt got passed around like a very painful hot potato. If you don't know, you should know. My name is Matt Davis-Adams and alongside me today are a man whom I have no doubt actually is in the top one, top one percent, Carl Anker. Hello, everyone. Our very own pirate princess, fresh off the red eye to make this booking like a true pro, it's Anton Tolui. Hello there. And the doctor of wrestling, Carrie Dunn, baby! Hello! NXT theme to this week's intros, as you might have spotted. I know you're such a big fan of the Undisputed Era as well, Carrie, so I thought you'd enjoy that. I adore them. They're a store brand version of the NWO, and I adore them. (laughs) Would you like a quick rebuttal, Doctor? I am still stuck at telling them apart. Adam Cole looks like a cross between uh, Shawn Michaels and Edge, yes, but kind of shrunk. And the other two, I can't identify from a lineup. Okay, well, there's three. Oh, because Roderick Strong joined, didn't he? Roderick Strong is the most nondescript wrestler in the history of wrestling. Correct. Let's get back. That's why you like them. Yeah, it's great. And the, and cool cool theme song. The, um, play guitar, guitar with, with, the, the belt. with the belt. Yeah. Thank oh. you to Brandon Shroud, who I believe he wrestling writer for Uprocks, who basically said the Adam Cole Bebe chant is the smart version of Marco Polo. <laughs> Very good. Let's get back to WrestleMania 18. It took place just before the brand extension. The wheels will be set in motion for the next night on Raw. So we've got JR and Jerry Lawler calling the action all night long. The pay-per-view portion of the show opens up with the band Saliva kicking things off with an absolute racket. Apparently the song is called Superstar. Uh, give me a warbled version of America the Beautiful any day. Uh, that was the start of the show, but let's go straight to the main event. Not the last match, but the real main event. The bout around which the show was built. Icon versus Icon, Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus The Rock, a dream match, the WWE's version of Mike Tyson versus Muhammad Ali, so we're told. Hogan was supposed to be the heel here. That's not how it turned out there, Carrie. He got a booming reaction when he came to the ring. Yeah, this was saying, I hadn't seen this before, and this is kind of watching it all in one go, and I was so puzzled at the placing of this, and then I kind of thought in my head, because Triple H, and then it all made sense again. But yeah, this this was really odd to me. I wasn't expecting this at all. 
And yeah, and then the whole、uh, Nash running and oh, yeah. I, I don't even know what to say about this. Running might be a rather grandiose term for something <laughs> involving Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash. Yeah, yeah, we、Click. take your point.、Um, Mr. Sports Entertainment, Carl Anker,、uh, were you sports entertained? I mean, it took us a long time to get any actual wrestling in this match. I watched on mute. So the long standing、uh, consensus from a lot of people whose wrestling opinions I. Admire and respect is that this match is a fantastic, amazing, perfect WrestleMania spectacle with the sound on. You put on mute. Oh my God. It's unbelievably hokey. So went off to watch the whole match on mute the moment theme music stops. Mute, you watch it. There is so much staring at each other and sharply looking left and right. Sharply looking left and right. And it's so cartoony. And yes, you shouldn't. Rank a wrestling match on what it's like if they were in front of an empty crowd because the crowd is a very, very key ingredient into wrestling matches. This is a uniquely, this is a unique bottled lightning match that you could never replicate ever again. And they tried to with Roxena and it didn't work because it's a testament to how skilled The Rock and Hulk Hogan are at turning a crowd around. And it's also a testament to how good both of those two are with limited. Ring Naus, I'd say Hulk Hogan. You know, by all accounts, Hulk Hogan isn't particularly great in ring technician. The main reason why his leg drop comes off a、uh, Irish rip is because he couldn't nail it off the top rope.、Um, but when he gets a crowd connected, he can turn them left and right and make them believe what they want to believe. And I said it before, I always pop when he goes, You because Hulk Hogan, unfortunately, is good at his job. Anton, I mentioned WrestleMania 6, and、um, we'll get to that in, in a couple of months' time, probably, and, and the whole Hogan Warrior thing that happened after there. This, this was like history repeating itself. How do you think Rock felt going into this as the face? I mean, was it the crowd that, that, that made him the heel, or was it what Hogan was doing in the ring and maybe in the build as well? I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the pop. That was going, you know, I, I remember watching this at the time, and this whole WrestleMania, even though it probably doesn't rank anywhere near the, the top, actually kind of resonates with me because I used to play、uh, Shut Your Mouth, a computer game, so much when I was about sort of 16 and 17, and most of the storylines are based around this WrestleMania, and it's a brilliant computer game. So for this, there was a, it was, the build up was actually quite good, the whole you know, NWO coming back, mixing with the McMahon's, his lethal dose, dose of poison, and all that kind of thing. and... And it was kind of silly with the whole, you know, rocking an ambulance. And the, so and there was a good build to it anyway. But actually, it didn't need any of it because the crowd just wanted to see Hogan. And they wanted to see Hogan at the peak. And they wanted to see him have one more WrestleMania big match. And I think, I think we saw it later WrestleManias with Rock and Austin. Rock really appreciates when someone takes him to a higher level, not in the ring, doesn't necessarily matter about that, but when the spotlight is increased and more people have their eyes on him and, and, it, and it elevates sports entertainment into the mainstream as well. I think Rock, more than anyone else, loves that. So I don't think he'd have had, and Rock's said in previously in interviews, he likes being the heel. He actually feels more comfortable being a heel a lot of the time. So. I think, he'd actually, I think he'd absolutely love this. As we're going through, Kerry, there's, there's bits that happen in WrestleManias and they can be like decades apart where you go, ah, okay. And when we were talking about the recent ones where Rock's like squashing、uh, Eric Rowan and all that kind of thing, you think,、ah, Terry taught you that, didn't he? Because <laughs> he did that to you. Yeah,、um, I think it's interesting what Anton's saying about kind of the spotlight as well, because I think. This kind of working on the big stage and being able to respond to your audience like that and 
it not being so much about your wrestling, but about the story that you're telling and being able to kind of uh, respond well to that spotlight is what distinguishes your big WWE mainstream stars from the people who are just kind of big in WWE. So I texted you guys this week and said that my boyfriend had texted me and said, um, who's that famous wrestler? Is he dead? And I said, which famous wrestler do you mean? He said, the one that's not The Rock. And he meant Hulk Hogan. They're the two famous wrestlers that he knows. <laughs> and I think that this kind of encapsulates that almost. These are the two that people would know. Uh, if you just show people pictures if they don't watch wrestling. And I think this entire match is kind of an encapsulation of that. You know, The Rock looks like an athlete. You know, he looks like a professional sort of a pro footballer and that kind of thing. Whereas Hogan is what? You know, he's a guy with a blonde tash and a black beard and a shiny head and, and peroxide horseshoe mullet. And like, you think he's either, you'd look at him in the street and you either think he's on a certain type of list or <laughs> or he's an, like an extra from one of the ups and downs of a handyman films from the 70s. He doesn't look like an athlete. He doesn't look like somebody you instantly want to cheer for. He looks a bit weird and it looks a bit odd. And yet, he's the most successful person this industry has ever produced. It's really odd. Well, just finally on this, Carl, we, we, we spoke last week about um, Rock versus Austin, and, and we were all in agreement that that was kind of a special occasion, good match, etc. Where does this sit in terms of Rock's WrestleMania offerings? In the canon, it, it's top five, absolutely. The Stone Cold matches, one and two. Those are Rock's best matches at WrestleMania. Then it's this one. I joked about how, yeah, put the sound off is terrible. But if you watch a lot of matches with the sound off, you'll think Dean Malenko is the greatest thing that's ever been in wrestling. Dean Malenko was fine. There, there are so many different components to what makes a good wrestling match and what makes a great moment. And also, very specifically, what makes a great moment at WrestleMania. So what makes a good match at WrestleMania isn't necessarily what makes a good match at Raw, isn't what necessarily makes a great match at Survivor Series, or isn't necessarily what makes a great match at SummerSlam. Um, and this is maybe one of the best WrestleMania stories of two big people with crossover appeal, young lion, old lion come together, fan perception changes, those two people in ring change perception and have, go out and have a entertaining spectacle is what I'll use to describe it. Not a fantastic match, but an entertaining spectacle. And yeah, I, I was thoroughly sports entertained, even with the sound off. Yeah, if you haven't watched it in a while, go back and watch it again because it really is a very, very unique thing. And we'll move on to the title match next. The undisputed title, as was. Chris Jericho came in as the defending champ, having won the WCW, or World Heavyweight as they called it, and the WWE titles at Vengeance in December 2001. He famously beat The Rock and Steve Austin in the same night. This match went on last, by which point the crowd was spent, having used up all their energy on that Rock Hogan bout that we spoke about. A word is that Trips felt it should go on last because the title match always should. None to do with him being in the title match whatsoever um Gary it was like it was an all right match but it just had no heat and it was a bit too long and like if it had been two matches before Rock Hogan you'd have gone that was pretty good yeah it it was it was fine but yeah absolutely right after after you've had Hogan Rock this is essentially another cool down match isn't it the only thing that is notable about it for me is the fact that Stephanie is dressed as a reject from the cast of Mamma Mia which I quite enjoyed (laughs) 
Anton, did we ever find out what happened to Triple H's dog Lucy? Um, for those those who are unfamiliar, in the Bills, uh, Jericho was kind of associated with Steph, but essentially her lackey. Uh, Triple H and Steph had got divorced in storyline in this time, and, and as part of the settlement, for some reason, Steph had got Triple H's dog, Lucy, who um, Jericho was supposed to take for a walk, but ended up tying over. to a limousine, and it got ran over. Ran over. In this, in this storyline, there was what? A divorce, wrecked cars, fake pregnancies... Uh, sledgehammers and an apparently dead dog. I mean, pure ridiculousness. But, you know, the whole Jericho and Steph thing, them sneering together, they look brilliant. They looked like that kind of archetypal sort of evil character that you expect in wrestling. And it was it was fun. I, I enjoyed that those two together, actually. I didn't they actually make the most of it, really. I think it was quite a lot of fun. The whole ridiculousness with Triple H kind of almost took a back seat. So I was really interested in their relationship because they're both so good at being just brilliant at being bad guys and sort of likeable arseholes, really. It's, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, the storyline didn't really make any sense. The match was okay, but it was all very weird as well because... It kind of felt like the match was just basically building up to Triple H wanting to pedigree Steph. That's effectively what it was. And he was getting really cheered on by a very, you could hear, a very male section of the crowd. Clearly, you know, the guys that have been dumped or were overlooked by the, by the popular girls at school or the, or the guys that recently their wives left them and they're not allowed to see their kids at the weekend. Go on, yeah, get it, go on, women are... And it was all a bit weird, really. It was all just felt up towards Triple H basically... You know, about to pedigree, the woman a year later he would marry in real life. It's, oh, wrestling's weird, isn't it? And lest, lest we forget him uh, implying that his would-be wife had a, an excessively large vagina in the yeah. build as well, which oh, was yes. um, Attitude Era. Um, Carl, for people who haven't seen this, describe just how orange Triple H was. He is mahogany. Not quite <laughs> deep Vince McMahon mahogany. He's, he's, I'd call him a hot on the Nando's heat scale. So there's there's two higher levels, but he's he's something. Also, he is jacked. He is post. He's just come back from injury. He came back from injury to an almighty pop by the Royal Rumble. Um, something I always maintain is Triple H has the loudest, most consistent pops. Royal Rumble to Royal Rumble to Royal Rumble. Um, so he's returned, comes back to the Garden, and is way too large. Um, so. It was his, it was a quadriceps injury that yes. he had, wasn't it? And and that was like it was so innocuous. He was basically running across the ring, and the muscle pulled off the bone on his yep. leg. And instead of thinking um, I'm too heavy for my frame, he just got even heavier. Yes. Uh, to his credit, he tore his quadriceps and decided to finish the match, which involved yeah. him being put in the walls of Jericho. I was going to say it was it was in a match with Jericho, wasn't mm-hmm. it? That was the uh, in the tag match with Jericho. Is that to his credit? That's that's a real wrestling way of looking at it, isn't it? Is it is it not more to his credit to say, hey ref, throw up the X and maybe I'll be out for half the time that is a very much what would Harley race do in in the when everyone talks about wrestling injuries a lot of them go Harley race will keep fighting through the injury so I'm going to do, do it and from what I understand doing that sort of thing that Triple H did gets you a couple of higher notches in the locker room so Austin finished the match with a broken neck Triple H did this Triple H finished the elimination chamber with a crushed larynx which is pretty much the injury when every time I decide I'm not going to become a wrestler my, my friend goes <laughs> Triple H crushed his larynx. I'm like, no, no. Um, so he is way too large. Um, and this is a problem he has between now and a lot more of his shoots going forward up until about 22, really. He's far too large for his frame. So he, he's gassed very early on in this match. And it, can, it shows he can't move the way he wants to. He can't reconnect and, and keep the pace of this match going, which 
as Kerry said, it's a cooldown match now because the crowd is simply exhausted. So the match Oli deflates. It's got that very annoying thing the Attitude Era has where the McMahons and McMahon bickering gets in the way of what's the true action. So the true action should be Chris Jericho, who's always considered himself the underdog, has paired himself with this woman and is now going to become the next big bad demon of wrestling. And then the returning hero, Triple H, wants to defeat him. And it's just it's this weird, as Anton said, divorce thing where you've got this guy who's the first ever undisputed champion and he's the least important person in this feud. Um, this was when I was watching SmackDown week to week as well. And I was just going, well, Jericho's obviously going to lose because that's not the storyline. The storyline is Triple H versus Steph. Um, yeah, it's just deflating. And he should have been deflated so he could wrestle better. <laughs> And also, just on finally on this, on that thing about carrying on the matches, carry. you think back to a couple of years ago when Triple H stopped a match involving Daniel Bryan because he got a stinger on Raw and Daniel Bryan was reportedly absolutely livid about that. It's kind of do what I say, not what I do kind of thing, isn't it? It is. I mean, again, we have this kind of weird divide between... Paul, who is a sensible human being and likes wrestling, and Triple H is an absolute bell end. Um, yeah, I, I hate this attitude in wrestling that, you know, to be a proper real man's man and be a proper wrestler, you have to fight through injury. It's absolutely ridiculous. And this kind of self sacrifice, you know, Lance Storm says a lot of really daft things, but one of the really sensible things that he said once, um, he was talking to. Uh, uh, Victoria on Twitter and she was saying that she wanted to learn how to do I think it's like a, a 450 splash or something and he said but you don't need it and someone a fan had said but people want to see that and Lance Storm said let the people risk their necks then and yeah this is exactly it wrestling you know it's a show I don't want to see people actually get injured and I think this kind of stiff upper lip let's fight through major injuries and make them actually worse it's not a good attitude to have going back to this match it is interesting as to how we view returning wrestlers because very few times does a wrestler return as a heel immediately and when it does it doesn't quite work Seth Rollins yeah so Seth Rollins one was a big one Seth Rollins blows out his knee comes back cuts a promo you know I, I did my blew out my knee defending authority etc 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 and we're all cheering as well you're going to be a face and then he immediately switches great in the moment the youtube clip of him switching back to heel is fantastic but then he just floundered for four or five months until eventually they redid the babyface push this one is interesting because triple h returns returns as babyface as all returning wrestlers do and it doesn't work because triple h is a bastard babyface triple h is weird so He's too big. He's the wrong orientation for a fight. Jericho's not getting the right rub. The only person who's properly doing their job in this entire feud is Stephen McMahon. And, and JR's in a very weird, shouty manner in this match. And all. calm down, mate. <laughs> well, well done. We've, we've spent more time talking about that match than anybody in podcast history, so that's good. Um, <laughs> next, on, next up, we'll move to Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Scott Hall. The story behind this, the NWO, as we've said, had joined the company to great fanfare earlier in the year. Vince McMahon famously announcing he was going to inject the WWF with a lethal dose of poison. Uh, Hogan did his thing with The Rock. Kevin Nash shockingly was injured, so he was by the side of Scott Hall, who jobbed out to Stone Cold in a very, very odd match. The, the finish of this supposedly changed at Austin's behest. He didn't like the match or the placing of it. That was obvious. Um, was he just struggling to accept that he wasn't the guy anymore? He he was he was just 
in a match in this WrestleMania. That's what I kind of thought. Again, so having not seen this WrestleMania as a whole before, I didn't read up about any of the stuff until afterwards. But yeah, I kind of got the feeling that no one actually wanted to be there watching this. I didn't really want to watch it, to be honest. Um, yeah, Steve, Steve Austin is not, is, not, is not the big star here. And I can imagine that would be something quite difficult for him to accept. It's stuffed in the middle of the card um, with Scott Hall. Rock's just, Rock's just headlined three WrestleManias in the build-up to this, and then he gets his Hogan match, whereas Stone Cold gets Scott Hall. <laughs> but apparently, uh, Austin walked out on the company after this match. He didn't appear at Raw or SmackDown. Um, he said since, uh, I think it was on JR's podcast, he, he was offered the Hogan match and didn't want it. This was his quote. Physically and mentally, where I was at, I could go. I think Hogan probably would have been a step or two behind that. That wasn't acceptable to me, and I didn't want to slow myself down. I say that with all due respect to Hulk Hogan, because he had a hellacious run. I mean, that's the ultimate backhanded compliment. But you think Steve Austin, generally a pretty shrewd businessman would have seen a match with Hogan for what it was i.e. putting a bit more in his pocket than a match with Scott Hall did is it just because he didn't like Hulk Hogan I think he didn't? didn't like Hulk Hogan and also he in Steve there's a reason why Steve Austin hangs out with Roddy Piper a lot in WWE product because they're quite similar characters and Roddy Piper didn't like working with Hogan either because he knew Hogan was never going to put him over so I know Ruddy Piper can see through Hogan's nonsense and I think in the same way Stone Cold can see through Hogan's nonsense and therefore didn't want to work with him. This match is interesting because apparently this was very much the powers that be, Vince McMahon and Triple H and very much going to Scott Hall, like, get clean, we're going to give you this match, stay clean and that's it, you're, you're good, you're done and dusted, we're going to keep keeping you within the company. And it, it didn't quite work. Scott Hall wasn't in a great place right at the time um, and... You know, he took until very recently through the help of DDP and DDP Yoga that he has turned his life around somewhat. Um, I will say, Scott Hall, that's the best Stone Cold Stunner sell in the business. I've never been a fan of the rock, the way Rock does it. I think Scott Hall st- sells the Stunner best because it, it makes sense in terms of how the move would work. So when he really, really, he takes it, takes the uppercut shoulder into his face and then flings himself backwards with great abandon it's my favorite way to sell the stunner um and also this whole feud just makes me wonder this this entire wrestlemania should have been wwe versus nwo don't mess around with sprinkle everything apart really really set it up as you've got the wcw tape library and then partway through the year have nwo take over have a couple nwo themed events as he looks like they're going to win and then every single major baby face in WWE goes all right I'll have you The Rock can have Hogan Stone Cold can have Scott Hall and then Kevin Nash's wheelchair can fight the hardcore legend in a very weird hardcore match um, yeah, this WrestleMania is just all missed opportunities because it should have been WWE versus WCW. And Anton, do you think they bought the NWO back in the way they bought WCW back just to kind of kill it and make that people's lasting memory of it? Or was there actually a genuine desire for them to do something positive before they ended up putting Booker T and X-Pac and all these random people in it? No, I thought he brought NWO back to get this Hulk Hogan moment. I thought it was the best way storyline to do it. He brings in Nash and he brings in Hall so you can, you know, see how popular they are and, you know, get a bit of a rub off them. But I think it was all about Hogan. I genuinely think it was all about Hogan. The whole thing was about 
trying to legitimize rock as the ultimate baby face as the ultimate guy for the for the for the company and to use hogan as as the bad guy nwo try and, and tr- try to get wwe to own some of the nwo so when people look back at that that glorious time in wrestling history they'll also look at wwe and not just wcw um this match contained one of the things that annoys me the most in wrestling which is when a manager or a partner ringside and the ref just goes you're ejected and they go yeah i'm off <laughs> kevin nash you're seven foot tall yeah. you've, you've Take already me 20 minutes to get to the ring mate I'm exactly back straight and away. then he just walks off uh, and then the match is lost we utterly come on you're supposed to be the, the badass nwo that goes around spray painting people and smashing up an- ambulances and beating people up with cinder blocks but if the ref says get out oh yeah good point i'll know i'm not supposed to be here am i maybe i did overstep the mark utterly ridiculous <laughs> Right, we're just getting started on the road to reliving WrestleMania 18. Stick around, more parts unknown next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Next up, two old dudes with a fondness for the blade tangle as The Undertaker defeated Ric Flair in a no-DQ match to go 10-0 at WrestleMania. Taker had goaded Flair, who at this point supposedly owned half the company, uh, into the match by beating up his son David and Arn Anderson in the build-up. Heel Taker was a, a nasty so-and-so at this stage in his career. Uh, this was actually the longest match of the night at nearly 19 minutes. Sloppy in places, compelling in others. Um... Carrie, what did you make of it? No, I hated this. I'm increasingly hating The Undertaker. I know I feel like I'm doing this every single episode we do now and I'm just slagging off The Undertaker. He's really boring. It takes ages to get anything done. No, 19 minutes. No, no one wants that. No. There is something uniquely... There's something different about Biker Taker because Dead Man, Ethereal Undertaker in a squash match is, oh, it's you've got the human afraid of just the passing sands of time so when edge is running away from like dead man undertaker that's fine that's shakespearean biker taker is just the nightclub bouncer so you've got 19 minutes of a nightclub bouncer panning in an old man and i'm like i don't like this this is this is horrendous and violent there's a bit on comms where jr goes to jerry lawler how can you enjoy the misery of others and that's that, that that's this match how can i re- how can i get happy about a biker beat up an old man Good point. Anton, 92, the combined age of these two at this time. Um, would it have been worse, like, one of them facing, like, I don't know, Christian or Maven or somebody like that and maybe putting somebody over rather than just, you know, there's nothing worse in wrestling than blonde-haired Ric Flair covered in blood, I think, and it was just kind of gross. There should be, always be a sweepstation. How long does it take for Ric Flair to get cut open? So he's, he's cut open within, like, three or four minutes into this match. It's... I, it was. I completely agree with everything the guys have said. It just, it was just. I mean, it's great to see Flair still has the ability to go at it, but we say that every week, every week, and it's just. Oh, oh it's, yeah, you're right. Bike, biker taker. It's just vroom vroom. Oh, takes ages. Oh, um, oh, it's just the same old thing, and it's really annoying. And the, the only thing I liked about this match is when. 
um, Flair kind of reverses old school and JR says, oh, you got jerked off the ropes. And I maybe giggle. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that... The match is utterly forgettable. Um, at WrestleMania 17, we'll be covering that in detail next week. Kurt Angle faced Chris Benoit in a match without any build after he'd lost the title to The Rock at No Way Out the previous month. Here the pattern repeated, but with Kane in the opposite corner. This after Angle had lost the Mania title shot to Triple H a month prior. Uh, the match might have had a flat build, but Angle, phenomenal performer at this point in his career, able to make uh, chicken salad out of chicken shizzle, as they say. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Kurt Angle is amazing, isn't he? I think we're all kind of becoming more and more Kurt Angle fans as we go backwards through WrestleManias as well. Yeah, a Kane match that I wanted to watch. Imagine, it was it was, it was was a special moment for me. No, I really enjoyed this one. Um, how about that spot, Carl, where Angle just sprints up, and I mean sprints up the top turnbuckle and gives a top rope suplex. It's, it's amazing. like, wow. There's a bit near, near the end where he takes a kick to the head sells immediately and then Kane goes to like capitalise and he grabs it and he twists it and oh god everything is crisp and clean and with the right amount of viciousness to it um, Kurt Angle has this amazing thing that Bret Hart does a lot in SummerSlam matches where he is facing someone a lot bigger than him and he goes right I'm going to chop you down like you're a tree and he's like yeah you've, you've Kurt Angle's one of the very few wrestlers who looks capable of cognitive thought in a match of just, he will look at Kane, look around the ringer, and that's my game plan. And now I'm going to go off and do it. Which is, Seth Rollins is quite good at that as well. Of just wrestlers who are doing the cartoon version of pacing up and down, and then going, ah, are fantastic baby faces. Anton, by the time this goes out, Glenn Jacobs will be in position as the mayor of Knox <laughs> County. What do you think will have been first on his intro? Uh, I mean, the potholes in Knox County are awful. Yeah. So obviously he's got to look into that. <laughs> but yeah um, I just like this image of him like chairing a meeting going it's so good. people want recycling moved to Tuesdays but logistically that's going to be tough to make work um, hellfire and brimstone something like that <laughs> <laughs> and also it's just he's he's still dressed like corporate cane which makes me <laughs> laugh anyway it's, it's absolutely brilliant I, I, I really really enjoyed this match it starts off with Kurt doing dissing Olympic, Olympic skaters in Toronto which is brilliant. It then starts with a ring bell because Angle knows he needs to like you said, chop him down quickly. It's brutal. It's silly. He uses the ropes to win. It's just great wrestling entertainment. Um, so the show opened with an intercontinental title bout. JR wasn't sure if the title was on the line as they were making their way to the ring, uh, but it was. Champion William Regal defending against Rob Van Dam. RBD had been white hot when he first joined the company as part of Team ECW in the bungled invasion angle from the year before. He'd been called off by this point, hence the curtain jerkery. Regal, often quite an awkward opponent uh, for American wrestlers, but this was actually quite a decent match, I thought. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was quite interesting to see that kind of clash of styles between kind of Regal's more orthodox Matt wrestling and Rob Van Dam looking to get his spots in. Um, I love William Regal, and I thought it was really nice to see him kind of getting a WrestleMania moment. I know you said curtain jerkery, but that's often kind of a really cool place to be on because you're first on and it's kind of a moment that you remember. Um, I thought the spot that he had with um, the trunks and the brass knuckles was a bit weird because it took so long it looked like he was just playing with himself. But, you know, apart from that, I thought, you know, Regal's always a great villain and it's kind of interesting to see that kind of clash with um, how he's a general manager who's, who's always a good guy now. He kind of plays by the rules and he kind of uh, has discipline with his roster and, uh, yeah, seeing him play around with the brass knuckles is always funny too. 
We're kind of quite big on JR around this stage. Um, I wonder if he's a little bit lazy on this WrestleMania. The the old educated feet line about RVD, one went to Harvard, one went to Yale. Daddy must be so proud. He said that in pretty much every match he had in the company. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, Heyman being on commentary. Is it just that him and Lawler are too comfortable with each other? So Lawler would never push JR in the way that Heyman did to kind of be better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's quite a few moments in this WrestleMania where Lawler seems to ask JR an idle question. And, and they do it very often in WrestleManias where there's a quiet moment. They go, so what do you think about this wrestler? And go, call the match. Don't just call call the match. Um, yeah, they're, they're really odd together sometimes. Uh, and this WrestleMania feels as if they don't quite enjoy each other's company. There's a particular moment in the women's match that I'll come back to where you can feel JR is just going, shut up, Lola. Which... You know, to be fair, shut up, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Anton, if you look at RVD's um, WWE career as a whole, obviously he was very, very briefly WWE champion. He won the WWE and ECW uh, belts and then got arrested, bust, didn't yeah. he, um, with Sabu um, for, on a drugs bust, got it taken off him. Was his run in the company a success given his status in ECW before? Did he kind of do better then maybe he should have. He had, what, three separate spells with the company and, and did all right? Best. Now Undertaker's lost at WrestleMania. RVD has the best uh, unbeaten streak at WrestleMania. He's 5-0. <laughs> and oh. I, I was all in at, on RVD at the time. I loved his music. I loved the Firestar Frog Splash. I loved his kind of laid back kind of attitude. I loved the you know, when they go backstage and he'd be sort of uh, he'd be between across uh, doing the splits across two chairs and sort of stretching and that kind of thing. And I love the kind of implied stoner that he was, which he kind of was at the time when he got pulled over by the police. But um, uh, I, I was all in on it. But at the same time, would I have bought him as the sort of poster boy? No. So I think I think actually he had a decent run in WWE and they kind of got him as far as he could. A guy that clearly sort of wasn't willing to stay within the boundaries of the wellness policy, shall we say? And if you can't, in a corporate environment, you can't have that in the company. So I feel as though he had a decent run. Great interview with uh, RVD in an old issue of Power Slam. Shout out to, to Finn Martin where he says about Triple H, um, if it wasn't for wrestling, I doubt we'd have anything in common. <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 I kind of see what you mean there. <laughs> so those two were followed on the card by DDP and Christian. They squared off with Paige's European title on the line. DDP was trying to mentor Christian out of his tantrum phase, but Christian had shockingly turned on the former WCW stalwart on the Raw before Mania. Um I quite like this. And, and of course, we had Christian's magnificent Christian music, music for this one. No, I love this. I've got lots of little heart emojis in my, in my notes. Christian looks like Triple H in this match. I don't know whether I can see that, whether it's just me. I just kept having to double take and think he, like, he looks like Triple H now. I thought that was strange. In a fishnet top gurning. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was the gurning. Maybe that's it. Um, DDP, I love the DDP, and yeah, I thought, yeah, this is a fun little match, and you know, I kind of watch it now with the retrospective knowledge about how much Vince hates Christian, and I was like, Christian's good. This is fun. When he's given stuff to do, then he can do it, and it's also interesting to see him without Edge as well at this point, and yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. At last, he was on his own. Oh, that music is wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. But again, going back to the computer game, because I was you know, a sad 16-year-old when I was playing it, 
would make myself obviously a wrestler because you know you do and i would use either christian's music or christian's entrance because he had the pyro that came from above and down below like rain as well it looked fantastic um the, the further i go back the more i appreciate christian christian so he's, he's the great missing main eventer because he's like his apex was in tna so you missed when he was at his best but there is so much great stuff from christian that I'm surprised more wrestlers aren't nicking stuff from. In the same way that everyone nicks stuff from Chris Jericho, there is so much stuff you can nick from Christian. Like, he called his fans peeps. That's brilliant. <laughs> and also, it was around this time when Triple H came back from his injury, as you mentioned at the Royal Rumble, they did this um, hype video for his return, set to Beautiful Day by U2, and they played it ad nauseum. And um, Christian was backstage with, I think, it, I think it was Edge or somebody else, and he just said, where was Triple H during this whole invasion angle? Probably sat at home spinning U2 records. Like, <laughs> he probably came up with that himself. It's really good. Um, Carl, you and I are both uh, exponents of DDP yoga. It's really painful, I think. Have you, have you managed to crack it? It's really painful. It's really good. Um, my wrestler friend, who I talk to about a lot, does it every single day. He looks a bit like the bad guy in Die Hard 2 when he does it. Very like um, concentrated. DDP is great. Um, there is he wrote a letter to his younger self on the Players Tribune it's quite long like a 5,000 word essay where he writes to himself when he was 16 after he got hit by a bus and he'd done his knee so he, the reason he got into wrestling at the age of 42 is he used to be a manager trained to be he trained to be a wrestler at 27 blew up both of his knees went to go be a manager gets drunk with everyone most notably Scott Hall who didn't <laughs> yeah uh, and then at the age of 42, decide, uh, 42 in, in his 30s, basically at a very, very late age, decide to get into it. And he's just so nice, so friendly. He credits everything to John Laurinaitis for giving him the diamond cut. And uh, there's a bit when Triple H's career, just when he was starting in WWE, where Triple H used the diamond cut as a transition move. DDP phoned him up and went, hey, like, you're a lot more handsome smarter and athletic than me could you not use that because that like the diamond cut is my meal ticket and triple h goes yeah fine that was that so and he successfully um sued jay-z didn't he for for trying to pinch the the diamond cutter off him he did indeed uh also in this, this match he um says thank you to christian when he pins him which again wrestlers saying thank you to each other <laughs> always makes my heart melt my only my I, i've Spent a bit of time with DDP last year, uh, interviewed him over the phone, and then he came over to do his DDP yoga workshop and sort of personal speaking tour and that kind of thing. And um, I spoke to him on the phone sort of to do a phone interview with him, it's about half an hour chatting with him, and he's just, oh, I barely got a word in, but he's not going to interrupt me. He's a wonderful raconteur going on and on. But clearly, like a muffled phone line from, from the States, he's like, you yeah, know, so I introduced myself, and he just referred to me for the whole thing as Axel. <laughs> didn't correct him at all so when i met him in london i was like hi i'm anton um or axel he was like axel good to see you. big hug I still i still couldn't correct him even in the flesh i was just uh, actually axel's quite cool can uh, no one else will call me axel well i think we'll call you axel from from this point on of course they made the reference to the fact that he'd driven honk chauffeured honky tonk man down the aisle at six in in this venue as well so very nice and um, there was a woman's match on this card it was in the traditional come-down spot between the two big matches, um, Hogan Rock and then uh, Trips versus Jericho. Jazz retained the women's title over Lita and Canadian Trish Stratus, who was draped in the maple leaf. Um, 
Doctor, at least there were no bra and panties inside, apart from Lita's thong, of course. Well, there's that. These poor women, so they're kind of, as you say, put put on in that spot after Hogan and Rock, so the the epitome of the cool-down spot. Um, Jazz is working her arse off in this match. Trish is bumping like hell, although she's still very green. I think that's quite interesting to see Trish get worse and worse week by week as we're going through these WrestleManias. Trish's Titantron has nothing of her actually wrestling, I noticed. So that was interesting. And Lita, I mean, God love her. She's so choreographed as well. I think particularly in a triple threat where you've got to kind of time everything so you've got the right people in the ring at, at the right time. It's all very, very kind of step by step, making sure she's kind of counting and doing her steps in the right place. It wasn't bad, but, you know, you've got not very much time and no one really wants to watch these poor women. So, yeah, what can you do? Anyone else got anything to say on a match already being described as having happened on this card? There's a bit where Lawler goes to JR. Look at Jazz. Do you like her? JR goes, what? He goes, do you like her? And JR goes, I think she's an incredible athlete and a fantastic performer. Basically, fuck off. Your racial coding is disgusting. And I'm not going to answer whether or not you think I think she's sexually attractive. Like, go away. The hardcore title uh, was still a thing in 2002. <laughs> Treated as a joke here. First, the champion Maven and Goldust faced off for the belt with Spike Dudley winning. Yeah. Uh, then throughout the night, various wrestlers would take advantage of the 24-7 rule. That meant that the belt was on the line at all times. Hurricane Helms, Mighty Molly, Christian and finally Maven again all claimed the title at various points throughout the evening. Anton, why? Bring it back. But, but if you again, if you brought it back, would you include the twenty four seven rule? Absolutely. Would you? Because you've then you've got a running theme through every single episode of Rule that something can happen. Um, so apparently there was a how allegedly there was a house show where the hardcore title changed seventeen times. It's exhausting. Uh, it, you just get it back to the person at the end, and it keeps going. I mean, nothing of consequence happens episode to episode because the person can win all the time. But it's just hilariously fun to watch everyone beat each other up backstage. I'd, I'd bring it back for a pay-per-view or for a tournament or something. I couldn't deal with that every week. I, I genuinely find it exhausting of sort of no names, sort of coming out of nowhere, hitting someone and then running off. And it's just sneak attack after... It, it's, 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 it's panto guerrilla warfare. It's, exactly. It's great. It's not... It, it's great <laughs> for a bit. And then like, again... You give, oh, you we give doing everyone we're still doing this. on the lower mid. You give everyone on, lo- on the lower to mid card something to do, and then every now and again you put it on the mid card person, and they legitimise it or whatever, and then off you go. It, it's it's as important as you want it to be. How popular was Maven at the time? His pop was huge. Well, I want somebody to explain Maven to people. We've had lots of lovely reviews. If you want to do that on iTunes, give us a five star. That'd be great. But um, somebody said, maybe go into a bit more detail about these random people that newer people might not know. Uh, Tell us, Anton, how Maven came to be in WWF. So Maven was the first ever Tough Enough champion. So Tough Enough was sort of WWE's first real dip into the reality TV. And they tried to find the next next superstar in a kind of ultimate fighter light kind of way uh, where they would pit them all in the ring and one would be eliminated a week in week out and they'd had trainers and that kind of thing to sort of whittle them down and, and Maven was we, Maven was the guy he was a school teacher that sort of always wanted to be a wrestler and you know he was very much kind of plucky young man with a mild mannered chap who was perfectly likeable but I mean, he was just so green, but he was so popular, they stuck him in the ring. No charisma. Yeah, nothing at all. But they, he was really popular because he just seemed like a nice chap. 
And that's what reality TV gets oh. you a lot of the time. And in the 90s especially, you know, you look back at the early Big Brothers, being like when Craig won it and that kind of thing, a lot of the time it was nice people that won because, you know, it wasn't quite the panto it is today. It wasn't the ridiculous sort of, you know, apprentice-style, horrific people all trying to outdo each other by being as awful as possible. It was... You know, it was nice people doing relatively boring things, and that's what Maven was. It's interesting to compare Maven, who won the first tough enough, to The Miz or Daniel Puder, who won, I think, the second or third one. Uh, in terms of Maven was great, they gave him those opportunities. They gave him the the. I know it's meant to be a rub where he eliminated the Undertaker from the Royal Rumble, and then the Undertaker just beat the snot out of him and gave in like, kind of hard to watch after a while very hard to watch he's very clearly concussed gives him a completely unprotected chair shot um and they gave him a lot and more else but the guy had no none of the intangibles to use a bret hart phrase um yeah but from what i can say he's gone back to teaching and is, is a thoroughly nice person that's the convention circuit and, and thoroughly nice but he wouldn't if you met him again anton and he called you axel you but actually my name's Anton. <laughs> Sorry, Raven, but my name's Anton. Yeah, yeah. Now, what better way, Carrie, to ignite a feud than to have two wrestlers squabble over the right to claim an advertising deal for a non-existent Japanese shampoo? That's the storyline that Booker T and Edge were given to work with. Kind of a travesty, given that they'd trumpeted the fact that Edge was the hometown guy who'd been in attendance at WrestleMania 6. Um, Booker T was kind of pretending that he was intelligent on his pre-match interview about Einstein's theory of, was it relativeness? Relatives, Relatives, yeah, you can have two theories. Um, My other question, right, this is about shampoo. Why wasn't it a hair versus hair match? That's an excellent question. I feel like I'm missing some kind of major rib with this entire set up for this entire match this entire storyline this is just about the time where people more people have internet home and we're beginning to find out that brad pitt and george clooney have been doing all these sorts of adverts in japan at the same time so it's the beginning of brad pitt's been doing what i think that's the rip zeitgeist yeah. But there, yeah, there is a bit right at the start of the match where someone just puts up a sign going, they are fighting over champagne. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily for Booker T, though, he'll have, a, he'll have a much better experience at WrestleMania 19. Um, right, we're wrapping up now. Quick mention to the fatal four-way tag team title match, which saw Billy and Chuck retain over the APA, the Hardy Boys, and the Dudley Boys, accompanied by Stacey Keebler. Uh, Anton, you did a good job with Maven. Please explain for our younger listeners, Billy and Chuck. Oh, God, that's a difficult one. <laughs> Uh, right, so, I mean, it's, I think Lawler kind of uh, described it in a way. So they were peroxide blonde, uh, kind of, they were sold as kind of boy band-esque kind of um, uh, competitors. Billy However, Gunn, who you might remember from DX, Chuck Palumbo coming from WCW. However, there was an exceptionally uncomfortable, uh, basically, uh, homosexual shaming about this whole thing. And then you've got Lawler saying, backseat boys. Uh, calling them backseat boys and uh, JR saying uh, they enjoy a tag team and it's, it, the whole thing was very uncomfortable um, but you know and uh, Chuck wasn't particularly good in the ring either which didn't really help either they, they was, it's really difficult to sort of you know kind of really sort of root for them when they're really just joke characters 
in the ring as well as you know white being white help or they're made to be out in personality as well so well not exactly another glorious part of wwe's history this match wasn't exactly a, a glorious part of wwe's history considering the access vt going into it so that the vt before was about all the fans having great fun at wwe access at wrestlemania uh, which included a cast of stacy keebler's arse and legs <laughs> yep. to which she says uh it was a bit weird seeing people uh going around and touching my my butt and legs and you're thinking yeah i think that it's definitely weird seeing like what wet gel wearing sort of basement dwelling men sort of slapping, fingering and drooling over an exact cast of your arsehole. That is in their wank bank, isn't it? That is absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Um, just on this, it's worth rounding out the Billy and Chuck thing. So they were supposed to get married, weren't they, on SmackDown in September of this year. They were going to have a wedding, but then it was revealed that it was a ruse and they were, in fact, straight. The Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation had sort of teamed up with WWE in the build-up to this to kind of go, hey, well, yeah, you want to do something positive, great. Uh, they then watched the angle and released a statement saying the WWE lied to us two months ago when they promised that Billy and Chuck would come out and wed on the air. So it's just another case of kind of... Um, give with one hand, take with the other. We're gonna, we're gonna do something good. Ha <laughs> ha! No, we're not. Eric Bischoff's gonna dress up as a vicar and laugh at you. Oh, it's it, it, it's awful, and um, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of everything that um, Glad have ever done. But I think in this uh, in this circumstance, they're probably right to be very vociferously objecting to the way the WWE treated this storyline. The fact that it was kind of turned around as a joke, as a ruse, is particularly galling i think well that was that a night where the uh, the veterans stole the spotlight again hogan hunter and the undertaker the big winners on uh, a real mixed bag of a show wrestlemania moments i'm struggling carrie have you got one i haven't got a moment per se but um one thing that i did kind of note throughout this show was the fact they kept having these musical interludes telling the story of matches it was essentially like a very badly done piece of musical theater the entire way through which i think is certainly something that makes it stand out from other wrestlemanias in that it was terrible carl um it's the moment where the rock takes the microphone from coach pushes the coach aside and then turns to the camera to tell the audience what the storyline is and i was watching it take my notes and the moment the rock turns his head i was trying to drop my pen trying to like, uh-huh yeah I'm like yes you you will be the highest grossing actor in hollywood one day you are amazing when you want the attention on you Shortly after, Coach had begun his prayer with "What up, G?" Of course, let us uh, let us not forget that. Uh, Anton, have you got a WrestleMania moment? Was it that? Uh, no, it is. Uh, go back and watch uh, Austin and Hall if you can, uh, if you really want to, for the greatest ref slide in history. That's ja- mine. Oh <laughs> no, Jack Jones ref slide! It is absolutely. He almost slides across the entire ring throughout the other side. It's incredible. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> no, that's fine. We can share it. Um, while you're there, Anton, tell us your Twitter handle. At Sky Anton. And Carl. Anchorman616. And Carrie. At Carrie Sparkle. And we are at the PU Podcast. I'm at Matt Davis FC. Now, I'm not a man prone to hyperbole, but next week we'll be discussing the greatest show in the history of professional wrestling. It's WrestleMania 17, Stone Cold versus The Rock 2, Taker and Trips beginning their own Mania trilogy, Shane and Vince bludgeoning each other like brothers, and there's the unforgettable TLC match for the tag titles. All that and more up for debate next week. But until then, thanks for your company. Rate, review, share and subscribe please I've been Matt Davis Adams you've been in parts unknown the parts unknown wrestling podcast is a muddy knees media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddy knees media.com
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.